This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. At Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, TV, in theaters, straight to DVD. We cover it all here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm the host of the program, Ryan Kilpatrick, and I'm with the folks you are about to meet. You're going to encounter the people who run DisneyFilmProject.com, where we talk about all those things I just talked about, as well as Blu-ray and DVD reviews, uh, reviews of the shorts from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and even into the 60s. So make sure you go and check out that, as well as the show notes for this very podcast over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine filmed experts. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is so sensitive he could judge not only a pea under the mattress, uh, but perhaps even a grain of rice. Ah, yes. You know what I had for dinner? No. Peas. I, th- I think that's, that's fair, based on, based on getting ready to talk about this film. <laughs> <laughs> also, of course, joining us from JustPressPlay.net is Miss Rachel Kolb. Hello. How are you? Wonderful. How about yourself? I am very excited to talk about tonight's movie. This is entirely in my wheelhouse. Oh yes, this is uh, this is definitely one that that we expect to hear a lot of your your thoughts on. So, so just uh, get yourself a glass of water, you know, get ready. Uh, of course, we have our fine producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. She can't be with us tonight, but uh, she's the one that keeps things running around here. So you can look her up on Twitter at Cheryl P3 or on about.me slash Cheryl P3. Make sure you follow her there, and she'll let you know what things are going on, as well as ourselves on at Diz Film Project on Twitter. All right, so uh, as we sort of alluded to there in the introductions, tonight's episode, or today's, depending on when you're listening, I'm not judging, is about a film that Rachel picked. We, I think we talked about this a little while ago, that, that each of us kind of picks our own films to put on the list for the year. Uh, this is one that Rachel picked I had never heard of before, so I went into it not knowing what to expect, but we're talking about the 2005 television adaptation of Once Upon a Mattress, the broad, former Broadway musical uh, now turned into several television adaptations. And to tell us more... I am going to turn it over to Rachel because I wrote down in my notes when watching the film, let Rachel talk. Okay, to give a little bit of history about Once Upon a Mattress, it, is, it was originally a stage musical from 1959. Uh, music was written by Mary Rogers, who is the daughter of uh, Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein fame. Uh, she's also the mother to Adam Gettle, who is also a Tony Award-winning composer for A Light in the Piazza. She also so, wrote a very popular Disney movie. Yes. Yeah, she wrote Freaky Friday. 
the, oh, book, cool. the book and the screenplay for the movie, the original one, Jodie Foster. Yeah, because she actually got into uh, writing books after um, kind of stepping away from doing composing. Oh, yeah, because she didn't compose a lot of stuff, right? I was looking because I actually saved the link off from the Roger and Hammerstein website, which is a mm-hmm. very great website for fans, by the way, of anything Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yep. Cool. And the uh, lyrics and book of the show uh, were written by uh, Marshall Bearer, who is best known for writing the Mighty Mouse theme song. Um, and he also worked on the Ziegfeld Follies, um, did quite a bit of, like, he's very, like, you look at his, what he wrote, it was very traditional type stuff. Um, also working on the book with him was Dean Fuller, who really didn't do much else of note. But interestingly enough, Jay Thompson, who also worked on the book, wrote two episodes of the Adam West Batman series. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there has been, there, there was the stage production of Once Upon a Mattress, which is actually pretty popular now, I believe, with a lot of local theater companies because it doesn't take a whole lot to put on a staging of this. This isn't a very high-intensity show as far as production value. Um... Uh, but there have been three televised productions of Once Upon a Mattress, and Carol Burnett has been in all three of them. In yeah, addition, I read that. I read that, and I was like, "Wow, this must be very near and dear to her heart." Yeah, well, it she originated the role. It kicked, yeah. yeah, it was the, it was her very first big role. So, yeah, and I don't know if you guys looked up the original production, but most of it is up on YouTube. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, somebody had taped it off of TV and had thankfully uploaded it to YouTube. And it's unfortunately because the, it's on VHS tape, someone didn't quite get the tracking entirely right. So some of the quality throughout it isn't very good. But I still really recommend watching it because Carol Burnett as, Win- as Princess Winifred is spectacular. Yeah. I mean, she I, is just amazing. I've not seen that one. I've seen the 70s version where she reprises the role. So, Yep. And another actress of note in that one, uh, Bernadette Peters as um, Lady Larkin. Yes. Who, who may have stolen the show from Carol Burnett for her. <laughs> Here's the thing. like, it, it, We should talk that they're not all identical, right? All these versions that we're discussing, they're all been changed no. a little bit because of yep. time and stuff like that. But... Larkin's role is much smaller in this movie than it is in any other production of it. So, yeah. Well, in in uh, let's see, in the first production, they entirely cut the role of Sir Harry and basically combined him with another character, which was the minstrel, who was uh, Lady Larkin's love interest in that. And they also changed the fact that in the first production, she they were secretly married. So it wasn't so much scandalous, the fact that she's pregnant. Oh, okay. I was going to ask about that because that's uh, one of the things that I, I had felt when watching this is that it's really good, but I'm very shocked that Disney made it. <laughs> so are a lot of people <laughs> when you read about it online. I mean, the New York Times basically said the same thing is, is that it was a really great uh, version of it because this was written by somebody who had actually s- seen all the other versions of it and they made the same comment is that they were s- surprised that this had anything to do with Disney and that they even put their name at the top of the masthead yeah 
I mean, because I mean, and and we can talk about you know opinions of the movie uh, as we go along. I, I felt like it was a good you know adaptation. It was. It's not my thing necessarily, but I enjoyed you know a lot of the different parts. But like an, an unwed mother and some of the songs, like the Tracy Ullman song about uh, satisfaction. I was like. Wow, I didn't think we would do this in a film that Disney had their name on. <laughs> <laughs> so you you know what I really liked best about this, I think the strongest quality is that Carol Burnett, right? She uh patterned her, you know, her ideals of being an actress after Lucille Ball, right? And Tracy Ullman kind of followed in her footsteps. And I would say that the best modern equivalent would be Zoe Deschanel, right? So that I fully see like 10, 15 years from now, we'll see a version where Zoe, where, where Zoe is Renefred and Tracy Ullman is the queen, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, speaking of Tracy Ullman, I have to point out that there are like various, almost everyone in this cast has a weird connection to the upcoming Into the Woods adaptation. I don't know if anyone else noticed this. No. Go, go okay, for so, it. so Tracy Ullman, in the upcoming film Into the Woods, will be playing Jack's mother. Dennis O'Hare, who plays uh, the prince, um, he has done a ton of Broadway work, which included uh, the Shakespeare in the Park production of Into the Woods, where he played the, the baker. Um, and director Kathleen Marshall, who directed who directed this uh, adaptation, she's the sister of Rob Marshall, who is directing Into the Woods. Huh. That is strange. It's 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 like the uh, um, degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. It's like everyone in this cast can be connected to Into the Woods in like four steps or less. I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, did you know there's a Star Wars connection? Ooh, where? Yeah, so no. Edward Hebert, who was the wizard, right? Uh, or, you know, they, they Americanized Vizier, right? That's, that's what they did in the, in the movie and the play. But uh, he voiced uh, Star Wars characters in the video games. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was uh, wondering if we were going to get that in this one. Yeah. Also, we should note that he is now, since Rowan Atkinson has not done Zazu since the original Lion King, he has been the voice of Zazu ever since. Oh. I can definitely see that. Cool. Yes. Um, and Glee fans should note yes. that Matthew <laughs> Morrison is the, is the actor who's playing Harry. So, And he sings, so people probably want to watch this if you're Glee fans. Yeah, because back when back when this came out, he would have been best known for originating originating the role of Link Larkin in, uh, in, um, in Hairspray on Broadway, but he had not done Glee at this point. Yeah. Right. He would still be, I think, about four years away from doing Glee. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Two thousand nine. Yeah. Um, another unexpected surprise was both. Well, two unexpected surprises were both Tom Smothers and Michael Boatman. <laughs> Who Tom I, Smothers, yes. especially for me, I was like, "Wait, who is that?" And then when I when I looked it up and figured out who it was, I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> I used to be a big Spin City fan, so that's why I like uh, Michael Boatman too. But I mean, both of them, just having them both, and knowing the relationship that Smothers has to Burnett in the past and stuff like that, it's kind of sort of right. cool to see them doing something together, especially playing yeah, off sure. each other like they do. 
I also have to mention, uh, since you brought up Boatman, the, the character of the Jester is cut down considerably from in this version. Line, from his five lines in this version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and interestingly enough, in the first TV special, the Jester was actually played by a very young Elliot Gould. Oh, and they did they did keep his song in that version. So if you want to see what might have been, you can go back and watch the uh, first of the uh, yeah. the specials. Yes. So we should probably mention that we've been talking a lot about Once Upon a Mattress, right? But we should probably explain that the reason why we're talking about peas in the beginning is because Once Upon a Mattress is a very loose interpretation of the events that surround... That, that could have surrounded the Hans Christian Andersen tale, Princess and the Pea. Yes, okay. very loose. Very loose. Well, not really. I mean, the actual story is right in there, right? Because in the actual Princess and the Pea, the only difference is the Oedipal complex is added, right? And he, can't, he himself can't find someone who meets his lofty goals, but his mother still is the one who comes up with the challenge of the pea in the tale. So it's got elements. Definitely has elements. And... It's important to mention because Disney has a long-standing relationship with Hans Christian Andersen works. Uh, Little Mermaid and Frozen being probably the two you know, most well-known ones. But there's also a lot of shorts like Steadfast Tin Soldiers and Fantasia, things like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've definitely gone – I mean, obviously as one of the major – Proprietors of fairy tales. He's a, a source they've drawn on on many occasions. And there were a lot of lot of references to a lot of other uh, fairy tales in this. Yes, especially in the aforementioned Tracy Ullman song, which was made it even more shocking to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I also like uh, the whole fact that the queen is basically the queen of hearts the entire time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right down. Yeah, to the... her headpieces. Like, her giant headpieces are something that really are in every single special. She always has crazy hats or these, um, I don't know, like these really big collars. Okay. Yeah, like I, 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 I only remember the black and white 19, what is it, 70-something version of it? 72, yeah. 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 Most and, of the productions will have those crazy, like, Princess Leia-type buns with her hair. Oh, Wow. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but I looked in the very first special. Her hair is done like that. So, yeah, my wife will yell at me for forgetting the the guy's name. But when the credits came up at the end, and she saw the guy's name who did the costumes for Carol Burnett, apparently, like he, he was a designer who also did like if you remember all the crazy things that Cher used to wear in the eighties, um, it was the same guy. Oh, interesting. And I, I've forgotten. I've totally forgotten his name, but. Um, yeah, she was like, yeah, he was he was really big back in the in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. We should mention that this is different than a lot of the things we talk about because we always talk about acts and stuff like that. So I want to mention that this is a two-act play rather yes. than the rather than the three-act play that most people are used to. So, you know, it's it's got a complete up and a complete down, you know. So Right. In terms of, and that takes a little getting used to, at least for me, who's used to the three act structure in a film, right? Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. it, for me. It was knowing that it was based on Princess and the Pea, as they set up in the very beginning. I kept waiting to get to that moment, and it was about you know a third of the way through. I realized, oh, that's going to be the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, also, uh, something interesting I found in my research is that there's a big scene cut off from the original broadcast of the movie in the version that we all watched. 
presuming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The opening. Yeah. The, op yeah. the there's an opening framing element where a um, girl meets Cinderella and Cinderella tells her the story. Yes, and I vaguely remembered this from when I saw the broadcast, but I, I thought it was something I had imagined until I started, you know, doing some reading and found that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, and I, yeah, that's it. I didn't even remember. I don't even, pretty sure I never saw this before. Because I would have remembered Tracy Ullman singing songs like that. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the the setup for the for the film and the, and the play, like we said, is based on the Princess and the Pea, and so the way that the the whole thing opens is with a court where Carol Burnett is playing the queen, uh, and is it Queen Aggravating is her name? Yes, because it's yep. supposed to be aggravating, migraine, and vain all combined into a single word. Fair enough. Yeah, she is the queen. Uh, we mentioned Tom Smothers is the king. He's silent. He cannot speak. Uh, and they are performing tests because if you know the story of the princess and the pea, the whole thing was it, they were performing tests on the princess to see who was worthy to marry the prince. And so here we are. We are. We haven't gotten to that test yet. They uh, there is a rule with throughout the land that no one will marry until Dauntless the prince can marry. Uh, and Lady Larkin, played by Zoe Deschanel, is sort of bemoaning that to her fellow courtiers uh, and gets called out by the, the queen to, to say, these, say this out loud in the midst of this test going on with the, a, another princess. And so the princess who is being tested is being asked questions like name three kings uh, and name all kinds of other things that are nearly impossible uh, about a knight of the Red Cross. Yes, that St. George is the Knight of the Red Cross. Okay. Uh, and the last question is, from what I was reading, like infamous in the play of, what was the middle name of the daughter-in-law of the best friend of the blacksmith who forged the sword that killed the beast? Yes. They ask yep. a four-part four question about St. George, and obviously she doesn't get the, uh, the last one. She's well, she per mispronounces it, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she says Aiden, and it's Aiden. Yeah. Yeah, but she fails, and so poor Larkin is upset. She can't get married. The queen, you know, sings her song about princesses and uh, the fact that they have to be delicate and and all these sorts of things. Um, I don't I don't know the names of the songs. I'm going to rely on Rachel for 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 that. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's actually a cut song right here that is basically the exposition that Zoe Deschanel says about what the, the, the law of the land is, that no one can get married. There's, and I know why they cut it, because aside from a certain song later on in the musical, this probably has the most double entendres uh -huh. of any of the songs, but it's called uh, We Have an Opening for a Princess. Ah, I can see where that would have double entendres, yes. <laughs> yes, there there is a line in it where they say, nobody is getting any dot, 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 younger. <laughs> I, want to, I want to mention that the four questions that are asked are also a direct reference to the fairy queen fairy tale, because we said there's a couple of other references throughout this. So that's, that's, what, that's the story of St. George's the fairy queen, in case you didn't know that. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's the so 
as as the queen steps down, uh, we get the story of the king not being able to speak. We have the jester set up so that the whole court is there. It's um, and what's I never did get the name of the queen's little hanger-on guy. He's just the wizard. That's that's his yep. credit. That's his uh, name. Okay. Yeah, and somebody, and they refer to him. Other people refer to them as that. She never refers to him as anything. Okay, she, so I'm not crazy then. Yeah. She never directly calls him anything. Other than don't touch me, if that's a name. <laughs> Maybe it is. We don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's kind of the court is, is, is the, the queen, the king. The king has the jester sort of attending to him, and the, the queen has the wizard attending to her. And then, of course, there's Dauntless, who doesn't have a chair, which I found interesting. Well, he has like a tiny little child's chair. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which I do is- love every. Like at the very, the very beginning here, his they make a point that everything that the queen is wearing is very elegant and very you know like authentic, but his crown looks like they got it at like Burger King. <laughs> yes, he's also basically wearing a giant child's outfit, right? Because of the yeah. whole thing that's going on, which we'll 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 get to as we go yeah. along. Because the next scene is probably a, a good example of it. The co- yeah, well, that, that's, scene. that's the whole thing is is that, you know, you, you, you kind of pick up on this vibe that Carol Burnett's character, Queen Agravain, does not want him to get married. I mean, you pick up on it very quickly, but when you get into the next scene, like you said, Todd, you know, she's serving him cocoa and telling him that, you know, no one's good enough for his baby, her baby boy. She's calling him sweetiekins, all these sorts of things that you're going, this is a little weird. Yes. Well, a man's man's best friend is his mother, <laughs> and the... more more than a little weird. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> the creepy head to chest scene too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was at this point I'm going. Okay, this is a little different than what I was expecting from a Disney fairy tale musical. <laughs> but you have to. You have to on it. Look at it from a certain way. You're an adult and you're getting it, right? You're, you're getting what's, going, what's really going on. But kids are, who watch this are probably not even remotely getting what's going on. They might – Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, agree. So, yeah. so parents don't feel like you can't have your children watch this. Just you know, don't, don't call out what's going on is, would be my recommendation. <laughs> and, and whenever Tracy Ullman is singing, don't let them sing those songs. Those are not ones you're going to want them running around the playground singing. <laughs> Fair to say? Yeah. I, th- I, I totally would have run around the playgrounds uh, singing Shy when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yes, uh, so we cut, we cut from them to, to Larkin, uh, again, like we said, played by Zoe Deschanel, uh, greeting Harry, her prince, or her knight, I should say. Not, her prince charming is probably a better way to say it. Wait, uh, played by Matthew Morrison. His full title. Harry the yes. Immaculate, chivalric knight of the Herald, keeper of order and obedience, future prime minister of the land. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he says he can't break the law. Unfortunately, um, the problem is he sort of already broke a certain law because he has impregnated Prince uh, uh, Miss Larkin here, yes. the Lady Larkin. Um, so the the dilemma they face is that she needs to, you know, Dauntless needs to get married so that the two of them can get married so nobody starts suspecting that uh, she may be 
with child. Or she has to or go she... away. <laughs> Correct. <Yeah. laughs> and then he delivers the best line, just just about one of my favorite lines in the in the whole musical, um, <laughs> about how their lives shouldn't be ruined just because she had a moment of weakness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why, why should we both suffer just because you had a moment of weakness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm sitting there going, it takes two to tango, buddy. Uh, but, you know. And so he makes up his mind that he is going to leave and find Dauntless a princess. Um, and, of course, this being a musical, it is something that he has to sing a song about. Yep. Of course. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, so he sings this song. Now, I, I don't, again, like I said, I don't know the titles, but it's, it's a song a about... While. In a little while, yeah. Okay. Uh, about how it won't be long that their dreams will come true um, in a little while, and you know they'll have they'll have their child, and you know all those sorts of things. So, off he goes to find the princess who will pass the queen's test. Now, I, my my question before we go much further, I assume Rachel, you enjoy the songs in this quite a bit. Um, some of the songs I enjoy quite a lot. Some of the songs I can kind of take them or leave them. Okay. Todd, what about you? Um, I agree. Like, I'm not really fond of this particular song, but any, anything that, that Dauntless and Winifred sing is awesome. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In fact, while I was watching this, I might've tweeted the both of you, one of my favorite songs from, from this musical. The Fred thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were there were a couple like my yeah. I was gonna say when Winifred singing, I was enjoying that. Pretty much everybody else, uh, especially Matthew Morrison, I wanted him to hurry up and go on this journey. Yeah. And and even when he sings later on, I'm just like, you know, I'd rather hear you singing "Total Eclipse of the Heart" or something else on Glee. I, this this doesn't seem like your milieu. <laughs> Well, that's why he was so good in uh, Hairspray, because he's he's just got that perfect, like, pretty boy look to him. Right. Like, it does seem like he should be on, you know, some, like, some show back, like, dance show back in the 1950s with his hair and everything. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I love that he goes away, and then, like, the next scene he's back. Like, that, that was, like, a crazy right. transition. Because I didn't really understand what was going on, because I thought he was gone for 10 seconds, and I realized that it actually changed seasons outside. Yep. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is, like, the production value of this, like you were saying early on, Rachel, they they kind of kept it with, um, I guess, the tradition then, because the production value of the sets and the backdrops, like, when they're outside, it's very clearly a soundstage. Yeah, it it definitely is, which I wanted to mention about the director, Kathleen Marshall, um, who I said before is the sister of Rob Marshall. Um, her background is really in stage. It's not in doing film. It's not doing, you know, TV. Um, and you can definitely tell that, like, in both good ways and in bad ways, because it feels like, you know, you just kind of set down the camera and filmed a musical. Yeah, it does. I mean, some of the sets get quite elaborate towards the the middle and the end, but like I said, anything where they're outside, it's like it it, it sort of feels a little dissonant because it does feel like a, a a stage musical, like you're saying. Yeah, I think they spent a lot of the budget more on getting the talent that they did than actually building sets or 
Right. And also on Carol Burnett's uh, dress budget, I think, for this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I do, I do want to mention Kathleen Marshall, brilliant choreographer. Um, I actually got to see her work in the 2011 revival of Anything Goes, and she's really good with these very traditional big musicals that have this bit of uh, subversive edge to them. So if you get the chance, I would highly recommend looking her up. A lot of her work is on YouTube, um, and the dance sequences in this were definitely a highlight for me coming back and rewatching it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, Todd, uh, Harry comes back very quickly, or he doesn't. Uh, he sends ahead uh, Princess Winifred or who we find out is Princess Winifred, uh, because she swims the moat, climbs the side of the castle, and appears on the top of the castle uh, to the crowd below and announces that she swam the moat to get there because Harry told her that uh, there was an opening for a princess, and so she's there because the early bird gets the worm, and that's when she launches into her song, um, Shy. And the Princess Winifred is played beautifully, I might add, in this one by Tracy Ullman, who is hysterical. In pretty much anything she's in, but especially here. <laughs> yeah, and and this is the important point because Dauntless just completely falls for her. Yeah, you know, right. immediately. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, Tracy Ullman's funny. <laughs> yeah, I I do have to admit when I first saw this back in two thousand five. I actually, I wasn't as familiar with Tracy Ullman, and I had just seen a very good stage production of this, so I think I might have been a little bit harsher in my memory of this performance than it actually is. Um, going back, I really did enjoy it, but I remember the first time seeing it not being hugely impressed with her. So, yeah. But a little bit of redemption on that part. I I really enjoyed her this time around. Oh, I can understand that. She's she's one of those uh, people that when you watch them, if you don't if you don't get the joke, it's not going to be very funny at all. You know what I mean? And and she's not going to be very concerned that everybody gets the joke. She's that kind of that kind of a performer. Yeah. Yeah. She just moves on. Yeah, completely. But she sings the shy song, uh, which is. It's so hilarious to me because, like I said, up to this point, I hadn't really enjoyed any of the songs, but I, I did enjoy this because she's basically traipsing around with complete strangers, telling them how shy she is and uh, telling them you know, that she's going to go find her a husband. She's going to look everywhere, knock everybody over to get herself a husband, uh, <laughs> but she's very shy. <laughs> and she's like belting this right in their faces, which I just love. Right. Yeah. She. She. It, well. The, right. The point being that she's anything but. But there it is. Yes. Exactly. And so she meets uh, Queen Agravaine, who is immediately against this union. Uh, she's against any union, quite frankly, with Dauntless, but especially this one because of the swamp. Her being from the swamplands, which we we didn't mention. Uh, Princess Winifred is from the the marshy swampland beyond the mountains. So her being from the swampland and being so crude as to swim the moat, uh, Queen Agravain is completely against this. She's just, you know, horribly, horribly against this whole thing, uh, which was my favorite little part was when uh, she's Queen Agravain's talking about the pain she's getting and how she's against all of this. And uh, Tracy Ellman just sort of turns not quite to the camera, but just sort of aside and just says, this is a loony bin, to which I was like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I like when they, they introduce themselves with their little titles, too, because he's Prince Dauntless the Drab, and she's Princess Winifred the Woebegone. Yes. Which is, Woebegone is an, a word that is not used today, just for people to know, but it means sad or miserable in appearance. This is the important part, because he, he basically asks her to stay, because she swam the moat for him. Yeah, he likes her for the exact reason that his mother hates her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep, and uh, Prince Harry presents her papers, and uh, <laughs> they finally con uh, Queen Agravain into agreeing to give her a test uh, to, to be determine whether she is, in fact, a true princess. By the way, I love that her papers are a pink slip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and she keeps asking uh, Dauntless about the test and what it's going to be and, and those sorts of things, and he, of course, tells her the whole story and it doesn't, doesn't know enough about it. Uh, and you know, they get her changed into, into her new clothes so that Princess Winifred can be a, you know, a true princess. They change her into her, her red uh, or, I guess, crimson dress that, that she wears through most of the rest of the movie. Uh, and this is also where she meets Lady Larkin. Yes, and she talks about how it's a very different color for her because everything is green where she comes from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, seaweed green, moss green, green green, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah pretty good. Um, but she meets Lady Larkin, who's sort of attending to her, and then Larkin runs out to see Harry and is is so upset because she knows that that Larkin, that uh, that Winifred will never pass the test because she has no princess skills, and she's trying to convince Harry to cheat, and he can't because he's Sir Harry the Immaculate, yes. and all that other stuff. Do you think he knew? Like here, here's the thing: they don't really get into this or anything because they don't get into a lot of Harry or Larkin because their roles are like not large in this. In no, this no, they're not. Okay. Yeah, but I kind of sort of feel like Harry like, knew what he was doing. Right? Like, he right. knew that he picked her because she would win, not because she would lose. And he's, that's why he's playing it so cool about her. Yeah, I think in the, the stage musical, I think she's literally the last princess. Like, within, you know, a reasonable distance for them to travel to bring her back to the castle. Like, he's, he's, like, poring over these books and being like, well, where am I going to find another princess? We've gone through so many. Right. So I think it maybe has less to do with that she's the right one and more just she's the last one we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's pretty much the only person who that uh, who they can, you know... M- they can put up for this this job at this point because they've already said they've gone through all the princesses they knew to the point that Carol Burnett says, you know, we're just going to have to wait for their sisters to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel for Dauntless too because O'Hare is older at this point. So it's, you know, he's not, he he's on a, he's like late 30s at this point, I think, when he's playing this character. So, He's not, uh, he's not young, so you get the feeling that he'd be like, like 60 by the time they grew up, so it wouldn't work out at all. No, no, not at all. 
but yeah, the the thing that 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 ends up going on is you know she uh, Larkin, like we said, is trying to teach Harry, trying to get Harry to agree to cheat, and he of course says no. Uh, th- that I thought, like you were saying, Todd, with them having a lower role, it's like I you know exactly where this is headed at that point, um, which I think we've talked about this before, right? It's not necessarily the the fact that you can predict what's coming; it's whether or not how they get there is interesting. Um, yeah. So I thought I thought this was the two of them and knowing that they're going to cheat was predictable, but how it ended up going at the end was was pretty interesting. Because this is the same time frame that uh, Queen Agravain is trying to figure out what the test is going to be. And so she starts singing a song about sensitivity. <laughs> Another good one. Well, Carol Burnett is the other one. Like her and Tracy Ullman, for me, and I'm cutting to the chase, but the two of them were, were what made this work. If it had been other not less talented comedic actors, I don't think I would have gotten much out of this. Yeah. My notes say Carol Burnett needs no introduction. Right. Or at least should need no introduction. She's just amazing. Yeah, she absolutely is. Yeah, agree. But yeah, this is where she comes up with the plan, and uh, which is to stick one pea beneath a, uh, a a mattress. And she starts out with one, then it goes to two, then to five, ends up at twenty. Um, so they'll stick one pea under twenty mattresses. Then they decide to give her a a drought or a drink to drink to to make her sleep. All kinds of things. Right. Which incidentally, uh, it is twenty mattresses in the actual fairy tale. So they're not just doing that for the movie. In in the fairy tale, it's twenty. Ah. You're right. I think I remember that as well. Yeah, and the uh, the the potion that he whips up for her, it's warm milk and opium, I believe. Sure, because, I mean, doesn't everybody have that? <laughs> Everyone has a good swallow of that before going to bed. Sure, why, why not? <laughs> of course. <laughs> it was even smoking evilly. That's the other good part about it. Of course it was. Of course it was. Uh, but yeah, so that now that they've come up with the test, then um, we have to take some time. This is where I felt like, it, from that point, that's what I was saying earlier, like for me, who hasn't seen this before, it's like, okay, we know what the test is going to be, and that's when I, ex- I expected there to be, like, fallout around the test or something, you know, like, I expected the middle of it to be, you know, the pee and then the mattresses and things, and then the end of it to be some sort of, you know, fallout around that, Um and for me, like the middle third of this sort of drags a bit as they're it's basically like Winifred waiting and trying to figure out what the test is. So like the next scene is is her meeting um the king. Yes. And we learned about which the is, curse. Yeah, and we learned about the curse, which is that he can't talk until the mouse devours the hawk. And we don't really find out what that really means until the very end, although we do get some funny lines about it here. <laughs> 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 a very big mouse and a very small hawk. <laughs> right. They tried that. It didn't work very well. <laughs> yeah, the king got bit or something, right? Wasn't that what they said? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I do enjoy the fact that Tracy Ullman says, you know, that um, if her father is anything like her mother, she doesn't want to meet him, but it turns out he's mute, so he's okay. And then after he leaves, she says, well, Dauntless, I certainly do like almost both of your parents. <laughs> <laughs> 
like you said, Tracy Ullman and, and Carol Burnett, really, for me, that was that was the whole thing. Yeah, delivery is really good throughout this. That That's what really sells it. Yeah. Well, and I, I didn't really care for the guy who's playing Dauntless. I didn't feel like he was bringing a whole lot to it. Oh, you don't like Dennis O'Hare? No. I was like, I, oh, I, I, was like, I love okay. him. <laughs> but now, but then again, remember his title, right? He's Dauntless the Drab, and if you think about how he carries himself throughout... Yeah, that's true. It does that's fit. True. Like, he's he's actually playing the role as designed, I'm pretty sure. So... Yeah, no, and that you're probably right about and that. He's a, and he's a stage actor, so it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I trust that when stage actors are doing things like this. True. Yeah, plus I, I really enjoy Dennis O'Hare because he just has this crazy range. Because I don't, I don't know how much either of you guys have watched him in other projects, but he's, he's kind of one of these actors that pops up everywhere. And, I mean, he's played these really sinister characters on, uh, on American Horror Story. And then he's done like this very likable, very affable character, brain character on uh, The Good Wife. Um, and of course, you mentioned, yeah, he's done quite a bit of stage work. Yeah, he um, played a cannibal in something, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed him in this. I thought I thought he was I thought he was pretty well cast. Yeah. Yeah. I I just I think for me part of the problem was. Uh, and, and I'd have to go back and watch it again would be it, it, it's just the narrative sort of doesn't it, it doesn't flow in a, in a way that you know, I mean you get we've talked about this too like I'm a real big plot narrative sort of guy and that's not what this is this is sort of let's spend time with these characters and and kind of get to know them a little bit and we all know how it's going to turn out yeah, and the the crazy thing is that they actually cut a lot from the musical, especially from this middle section, because, um, I mean, there's the whole character of the minstrel has been cut, and a big part of the musical is the, like, friendship between the minstrel, the gesture, and the and the uh, king. And that they're, they kind of play as another comic relief uh, trio in it. Yeah, well, I, gotcha. I I read that usually the stage play, play is like two and a half to three hours long, and this is ninety minutes. So, yeah, it makes yeah it makes it, complete sense they have to cut it. Well, it definitely felt like there was stuff missing. You know what I mean? Because even some of the songs, um, there's this the the next bit is this song that Tracy Ullman sings about the swamps, and I mean that one just fell fl- completely flat for me because I didn't care. I, I mean, I, at that point, I don't care where she's from. You know what I mean? Like, she's there. I get it. She swam the moat. She's from the swamps. Let's move on. Um, but she sings this song about the swamps, and then there's other songs later on in the film. Like, there's a, a Carol Burnett song talking about uh, how much she loves her, her baby boy that's extremely creepy but also funny. But it felt like it was two minutes long. Yeah. Well, like, this song, I think that had we, in this particular interpretation of the movie – of the, or the play, I mean, had the part with uh, her being the last prince of the land, the song would have made more sense, but because that's not really discussed at all, she's just the next yeah. princess. I don't right. think this, this song doesn't play as well, because if you listen to what she's talking about in the song, she's talking about how she grew up and how she came to be, and that this is her last chance to get something good in the world, and it's like, what does this all mean? Because it doesn't really fit with anything else that's going on. Right. Yeah, I I do... I do think they could have trimmed down this song quite a bit, and it might have played a little bit better. 
Like if if they if they were set on we have to keep this, which I think I think you kind of have to keep it. But I I definitely would have trimmed out at least like a verse from it. See, I think you could have just gone right from the scene with the king meeting her to going to the Spanish panic. I think you could have gone right to that. Yeah, I, I would agree because I mean that's the whole thing. Is the next bit is that they're going to have a a new a you know. Uh, Dauntless and Winifred are, are playing croquet and just kind of hanging out together. Uh, and Queen Agravain says, "Well, we're going to have a big evening tonight. We're going to have a whole new, you know, party, and we're going to have dancing, and we're going to have the, the Spanish Panic, which is, uh, as we learn, this dance that's, you know, exhausting and complicated, and it's going to wear everybody out so she'll sleep. And like you said, that's the next big thing is is the Spanish Panic dance number, which." I loved this part. It reminds yes. me of the dance in the uh, what is it, Adam's Family Values? Remember they do that yes. dance? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. I mean, it's it's that it's that scene. It, you know, going to Adam's Family Value for me, which I realize it's not a Disney movie, folks. But that scene sells the story in that movie, right? And I think this scene sells the story in the movie. You know, because it lets it lets you know that Winifred is not one who's going to lie down for this queen. That's the important thing. Correct, yeah. Yeah, it basically shows you that uh, of what she's, what she's made of, what she's going to do, uh, because she, she does the whole Spanish panic dance, which is, you know, like everybody else falls down around her, and she's still going, and she, sa- she asked the queen if she passed the test, and, of course, that was not the test. <laughs> that and... was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> And so, like, that leads into – this was my favorite part of the movie is we go from the Spanish panic into her and Dauntless just kind of discussing, like, well, what could the test be? And, like, the next bit is, you know, he says, well, maybe it's lifting this weight. And so she lifts this weight, and she, then he, he's all impressed and starts singing a song about her um, and calling her Fred instead of Winifred. And the song is about how much he loves her, and then he lists through – all these different tests that she might have to pass, and she keeps doing them over and over again in order. Yes. Lifting the weight, drinking. Well, it know. turns into basically a big drinking song for her. Yes. It's a bar song, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and yeah. wrestling. And wrestling, and dancing, and singing. Yes. All of which she does with great aplomb, and, and very, very well, and it's, it's very funny. Well, the nice thing is that the nickname of Fred is one that she's given herself, because he asked he she uh, he calls her Winifred, and she goes, "Oh, we don't have to be so formal. You can call me by my nickname." Oh, Winnie? Nope, Fred. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I did in my in my notes at this point. I changed from Winifred to Fred. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, I think this is probably my favorite number, at least my favorite group number from from the show. Well, yeah, I love I love just the transition of like the the high energy of the Spanish Panic straight into into this little number. I thought was was really really good. I enjoyed just it, this was part of it that I really enjoyed watching. Yeah, and just so you know, this is actually the song that ends the first act of the musical. Uh, when you see it on stage. So this is like the one that you're going out to intermission with. Oh, okay. Interesting. Makes sense, but not what I would have guessed based on, you know, how things progress in the, in the, in the movie. 
Yeah, yeah. well, the movie the movie gets very quick at this point, whereas it's, it's, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because the the next bit is is they're literally dragging the mattresses into uh, the bedroom of the the far far tower of the castle, uh, and it's Lady Larkin who's sort of accidentally wandering by because she's packed a bag and is trying to run away because she doesn't think that Winifred's going to pass the test, <laughs> and she overhears what's going to happen, uh, kind of overhears what's going to happen and ends up getting herself locked in the dungeon for the evening. Yes. And being told to go easy on the kumquat cupcakes, which sound delicious. (laughs) (laughs) I do enjoy cupcakes and those sound good. Yes, and kumquats are nummy, so cupcakes are nummy, (laughs) kumquats are nummy. Can only be twice the numminess. Exactly. <laughs> I also enjoy the fact that Carol Burnett has a line about, like, who knows to whom that lark might have sung about my nefarious proceedings, and the wizard has has no idea what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating because, you know, she has these great lines, and he's not appreciating them. No, he, he really doesn't. <laughs> But yeah, like for me, for me again, like I said, somebody who's never seen it before, I was still like, okay, let's get to the test, let's get to the test, and it, it was about this point that I realized, okay, no, the test is going to be the end of the movie. Um, so the next little bit is is Dauntless and Winifred are in her chamber, or in, I assume her chamber or a chamber, studying. Um, they're studying math. Uh, I did enjoy her trying to get three times seventeen and ending up with twenty one, <laughs> twice. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> or I'm sorry, 24, 24. Yes, yes. you're right. Yeah, 24. And so, you know, they they exchange uh, pleasantries and 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 go on their way. And this is when we get the song that Tracy Ullman sings by herself. That, that we were referencing earlier in the show about how she runs through all of the different fairy tales like Cinderella and Snow White and others about how they had all this help. You know, Cinderella had a fairy godmother, Snow White had seven dwarfs, Rapunzel had her hair, and the, the basic idea she's trying to get across here is that all of those people had help to get a man. She just has herself because she wants a man for the reasons that you would want a man. I'm trying to be <laughs> circumspect here, but she's not. Yeah. Yeah. She's very she's very, she wants satisfaction is what the way she phrases it. Yes. Yeah. I do love the line about uh Snow White having seven dwarves at her disposal, practically a regiment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Lots of innuendo. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, was, I, I was enjoying the song quite a bit, and my mouth was also hanging agape. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you watch this with your kids? We didn't discuss that. No, no, no. My kids okay. weren't. My kids were uh, not in the household when I watched this. Okay. 
Um, I would have, and I'm glad I didn't because I, the, the, the 12-year-old would have laughed himself hysterically. The 8-year-old I would have had to explain things to that I don't want to explain to her. <laughs> uh, so, I, so I'm glad that was the case. Uh, but she finishes her uh, – Winifred finishes her song about being satisfied and meets up with Lady Larkin who is crying in the dungeon – uh, she manages. Apparently, they just left the key hanging right outside the dungeon door. Yep. <laughs> that bothered that me too. That seems like a problem. Well, it's not like it's Larkin a... could get out at the key. Right? No, but anybody that wanders by can, as evidenced by the fact that Winifred does so. Yeah, but see, Winifred's whole goal is to cross the queen, right? Her other subjects probably were not of that same mind. Yeah, I don't know about that. They're all invested. The in, they're all invested in the outcome. Right, that's the thing. I think all the other subjects, right? They at the very end, they end up wanting to get married as well. So I think they were all on the same page of like, let's uh, let's not let the queen finish this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say that the reason why like they went with something that honestly could be fixed so quickly of her, throwing her in the prison and everything that isn't from the stage musical. Like, there's events that have been changed around here that they're like, well, we'll have the, the queen throw her in the prison and then she'll get out. But that's not how it plays out in the show. What, in, the show oh. in the show, does she actually get to tell? It's not the king who figures it out, right? Because in, in the stage musical, actually, you, you remember the song Normandy that's coming up here soon that they're singing about their honeymoon? Yes. The, the context of that song is entirely different in the musical. In the musical, this is a song that the minstrel and the jester are singing to her, that they're going to help Lady Larkin after she's had this big fight with Harry. They're going to send her off to Normandy. They're going to help her escape the castle because she is a lady-in-waiting, so she's supposed to be there to help the queen. Um, they're going to help her escape and get her to Normandy to have her baby. Um, and while they're helping her escape... Uh, the her and the minstrel get caught, and the minstrel pretends as though he was kidnapping her and takes the fall for that. Ah. So, yeah, it's it's entirely, as I said, with them cutting the character of the minstrel and changing a lot of these things around, um, yeah, the context has changed quite a bit. So the, the whole thing that happens, though, is that Winifred kind of tells Larkin about the fact that, you know, when they were coming back from the swamp, that was all Harry wanted to do was talk about how wonderful Larkin was and, and all this sort of thing. And that's when uh, Queen Agravain shows up and, and demands uh, – or not Queen Agravain, rather the wizard shows up and says that Queen Agravain has demanded that Winifred sleep in the royal chamber in the tower tonight. Uh, and so she has to go, but she has kept – Larkin's door unlocked. Yeah. So she manages to let let him let her out, uh, and then we have the the next bit that that we have is between Dauntless and Harry, which is very brief. You know, just him saying that uh, you know he's looking for his father and how great is Winifred, and that he understands now how Harry feels about Larkin, and then he goes and meets with his father. Yes. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> as, it's as, very as, interesting. As a father, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> Shall he go and uh, pick some flowers? Shall he go and find some bees? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm still, I'm still not sure he got it by the end of the song either. <laughs> I don't, I don't think he's ever going to, because it's basically the whole thing is Tom Feathers as the father is trying to do sign language to give him the birds and the bees talk. Because if they get married that night, the next day, then, you know, there's going to be a wedding night, um, which Tracy Ellman is very clearly looking forward to. And he's got to know what has to go on. And there's all this sign language and singing about flowers and bees. And, and again, I was very, very disturbed. The only thing he clearly got is that the stork does not actually bring babies. He did get that. Yes. It isn't the stork. <laughs> <laughs> but that I, was a big revelation. But the rest of it, I'm not sure if he understood. <laughs> no. Um, and I have to say, I'm not a prude. Like, if this hadn't been, it, it was more that it was unexpected because it's a Disney film. Like, if this had just been a regular old, you know, uh, something on TV, I would have been laughing hysterically. And I kind of still was in some some instances. But it was just one of those things where you're like, I wasn't expecting this. Okay. Well, now... Epcot used to have the making of me. It did, and that also made me Because <laughs> I don't need Martin Short telling me about these things. <laughs> he should tell you about Canada, but not that. <laughs> exactly. <Nope. laughs> exactly. And the thing is, like with this scene, it goes on for like five and a half minutes. Yeah, it is way too long. Yeah, and and so he finally gets it, and that's uh, we we cut back outside to Harry and Larkin, where Harry agrees that he, he finally agrees that he will cheat, um, and this is the song that you guys were talking about, the Normandy song that's actually been moved. Uh, they they swapped characters, right? In that right, Rachel? Yes, they swapped characters, and they swapped the entire purpose of her going to Normandy. In this one, it's for their honeymoon. Previously, it was so she could go have her baby in secret. Yeah. Can I just say something? Yes. For a pregnant lady, this is a lot of getting swung around. Yes. <laughs> it, it is. This is very true. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 dude. She's having your baby. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not very bright. Harry is really not very bright. <laughs> See, like I said, I think he's more bright than he lets on because I still think he set this up knowing. I just feel that way. The whole thing. Not, yeah, the, I, not the thing we know he set up. I'm talking about Winifred. Oh, uh, I just figured out who his character was reminding me of. He, he really, like, the way that Matthew Morrison is playing him, he's very akin to uh, James Marsden in Enchanted. Yeah, well, this whole, uh, thing, yes, is, yeah. this whole thing is a lot like Enchanted. Right, though Enchanted is obviously yeah. a higher production value because it's actually done as a movie rather than a TV movie, like this was. It, it's the the feel of it is very similar vein. Yeah, it is. You're right. I hadn't thought of that, but you're 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 very much correct in that. That it's a it's a similar. It's a similar feel to, to Enchanted. Uh, I will say that the Normandy song, I tuned out. Yeah. It, the, the replacement of it, it's just, it makes it unnecessary. 
Right. Like at this point in the movie, you know, we're what, about 10 minutes, uh, 20 minutes away from the very end. Uh, and I don't really care where Harry and Larkin are going to go on their honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because their parts are so small, there's no reason for them to have the, their own song like this. That's right. Yeah. Especially since they've already had a song. Yes. And so uh, we get Carol Burnett finally sees the pea. The wizard comes and shows her the tiny pea. That was a lot. <laughs> I just want to say, <laughs> I don't want to discuss why this scene was a lot, but this scene, this moment was a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. And then we, we, he shows it to her in front of the suit of armor, and you, it, the camera kind of pans over to the suit of armor, and so you get the idea that something's up with the suit of armor, and then Harry and the jester show up in front of the suit of armor, and they're trying to figure out what's going on and what the test is. And that's when the suit of armor raises the visor and it's the king who was hiding there. So they, at this point, know what the test is. Yes. And they had said earlier in the film that the king was on Winifred's side, that he wanted Dauntless to be su- Dauntless and her to that's be right. successful and get married. So he was yep. going to do everything in his power to do so. Right. And uh, then we cut over to Queen Agravain, who sings her song about one little pea. And then she starts segueing from one little pea into no other loves his mother like that baby of mine. Yeah. And like playing with his baby booties as tassels. And it was very disturbing and very <laughs> funny at the same time. <laughs> I will say I haven't seen this this particular song in any other production, so I'm guessing that they must have put this together for this particular uh, televised production well, of it to give Carol Burnett some more to work with. Yeah, I was going to say this song is ideally suited for Carol Burnett. Her sense of humor, oh, yeah. her ability to move, that sort of stuff. It's, it had her written all over it, so... And and it was scary. <laughs> and it all leads to her putting the pee underneath the, the bottom mattress of the 20 mattress. That's right. Yeah, that's the last bit. As Winifred comes in uh, and she gives her – we talked about the opium and the warm milk before. And then she brings in the Nightingale of Samarkand who is basically the wizard dressed up in a giant bird costume. And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if she was going to sleep like the dead before, when she sees that, she's not sleeping ever again. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I do like, like, she tries to get comfortable and she tells him to shut up, and then she comes out and she goes, can we just do this all over again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and poor Winifred is tossing and turning on the bed, and, you know, you as a, as a viewer, you're watching this going, wow, she really is a princess, or at least I was, um, you know, because she can feel all of this, and she starts, you know, she tosses and turns for quite a long time. I almost yep. felt like they overdid it a little bit with the tossing and the turning. <laughs> I guess. I love that she rips up the mattress and everything like that, too. Yeah, she kind of loses her mind, uh, <laughs> and she starts counting sheep, and then they cut away to the next morning. Well, it's that awful feeling when you're, like, really, really tired, and you just can't fall asleep. I went through it last night. <laughs> I fell, I Literally, I fell asleep at 4.30 in the morning last night. Oh. Sorry. Oh no! It's it, I I I think it's because I finished this movie last night. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> Nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it could awake be. mares, I guess. Right. Yeah. So the whole thing ended up 
you know, they, they go to the next morning and it's dauntless dressed in all in white. Uh, and his mom asks him like, why are you dressed that way? He's like, well, I want to look my best for Winifred when she passes the test. And he, she says, well, it's the test is over. We, you know, it was the pee on the mattresses to test her sensitivity. And, you know, I, I'm sure, I don't know whether she made it, but she looked very, very tired. I don't think she, I don't think she was going to make it. Um, and of course, the king comes in, he's in a very good mood, and all of a sudden, in comes Winifred, still counting. Uh, she's up to 37,436 sheep when she starts counting as she enters the room. And she finishes at 439. Yes. And so she's, she didn't sleep a bit. Uh, she's exhausted and angry, and she figures out that, you know, then he, Dauntless says, well, this is what happened. Mama put a pee under 20 mattresses, and you felt it, and uh, all of a sudden, everybody's like, yay, she can get married. And the queen starts trying to, you know, start, starts trying to interrupt and, and say that, no, 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 we can't, we can't do this. We want to wait and, and all this sort of thing. And Dauntless stands up to her and says, no, I'm not going to go for this, mama. Shut up. And all of a sudden, she squeaks and she can't talk anymore. And this is the the revenge of the curse, right? The mouse has devoured the hawk, the mouse being Dauntless, the hawk being Her Majesty. And all of a sudden, the king can talk. Yes. Yep. And the jester And the queen is mute. Yeah. And the jester explains what happened for those who didn't yes. quite understand it. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so Winifred falls asleep right there and right then and there. And uh, and the the king makes Agravain hop and skip and jump around <laughs> the court, yeah. which is pretty funny. And he, and he orders um, he orders Dauntless to put Fred to bed. Yes, and she she he takes her towards the bed and starts singing a whole. Th- they they all start singing a whole thing about the the reprise of the song from the princess, right? Yeah, princess is a delicate thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and we see the jester. we see the real truth, yes, which is the jester goes in and because I was wondering this the whole time, I'm like, oh, she must be a real princess, and the jester goes in and has removed what looks like a small armory from the bed. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because she says, "What do you stuff your mattresses with? Yeah, jousting that's equipment?" Good. And that's what and comes she, out. <laughs> and, yes. But then, like, for me, that was, I was watching that going, oh, well, that sort of cheapens her victory a little bit, but then they, they redeem it somewhat because um, they have, as Dauntless puts her to sleep, they have him reach underneath, take the pee out, and then she's finally able to relax. Yes. She's yep. tossing, he's tossing a little bit still, and then she relaxes, so, yeah. Yeah. And that's the end. It says, and then they lived happily, happily, happily ever after. Yes. That's it. Yep. Dun dun. Yeah. It's a nice little, um, I don't know what you call it, it, it diversion. I guess it's. I. It's not something that's going to be like extremely deep. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not going to find out new things about the human condition from watching this. Right. But you yeah, are going to enjoy it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Sunday night wonderful world of Disney movie. That's, that's right. what it was made to be, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, just a quick note about Tracy Ullman. Um, she has several other Disney connections, actually. Um, she uh, does Marla on Sophia the First, 
the voice of Ms. Birdwell in Kronk's New Groove, and also did the voice of the cat in the animated short The Cat That Looked at the King, which has been included in releases of uh, Mary Poppins. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's because it's framed by Julie Andrews. Yep. All right. Uh, okay, so let's let's rate this one as we, we get ready to, t- to take it on home. Todd, why don't you go first? Sure, I will go first. So um, I feel like this is a three, but because it has both Carol Burnett and Tracy Ullman in it, I'm giving it a three and a quarter. All right, fair enough. Uh, I'll go next. I'm, I'm going to probably be the lowest one just because... I don't know. There was a lot of songs in here that, that didn't really appeal to me. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, the, the plot moved a little slow. But I, I still think it's, it's something that you guys should go check out. But I'll give it a, a two and a half. Probably not something I'm going to watch uh, over and over again. But, uh, but enjoyable. All right. Uh, Rachel, this was your pick. So yep. uh, I want to see what you, what you thought. I think I'm going to be right. I'm, I'm going to be on the high end, but not so far away from you guys. I'm going to give this a three and a half. Um, I do agree with you. The Some of the songs in it aren't the strongest, and changing the context of some of these doesn't quite work. Um, but I still would really recommend checking it out. And if there is a production close by you, whether it be community theater or a professional production of it, definitely go see it. It's a great musical, really fun. Um, you know, there's tons of double entendres, but it, I, I do think it's still pretty much safe for the whole family. Um like the stuff with Lady Larkin, yeah, you might have to have a little chat <laughs> with the kids <laughs> about. But um, otherwise, it's it's a sweet little take on uh, the the story of the princess and the pea. And getting to see Carol Burnett in a musical again is always fun. So three and a half from me. All right. So there you go. I mean, we're all in the same kind of range. Right, right there around a three probably on average. So maybe a little bit higher. So there you go. Um, go and check this out if you guys uh, haven't seen it. Uh, I recommend it. I think you know worth worth checking out and worth an interesting take on a different sort of fairy tale. Uh, I'd be interested to see if Disney ever did a uh, Princess and the Pea adaptation. What they would do with it, you know, outside of this one, obviously. But you know, like if they did an animated one or something like that, it'd be kind of interesting to see. Yeah. Who knows? It might be in the it might be in the works already. Based off with Frozen being such a success, I think they <laughs> might be looking at more fairy tales, right? Yeah, like the Tangled treatment for Once Upon a Mattress, or yeah. for Princess and the Pea, I should say. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's our look at Once Upon a Mattress. If you guys agree with us, disagree with us, come let us know. Uh, leave a post in the show notes on DisneyFilmProject.com. Of course, you can always tweet us at DisFilmProject once you hear the episode. Uh, Facebook, Disney Film Project, or of course, email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Uh, let us know. Let us know what you guys think or about that or anything about the show. We always love to hear from you guys. Uh, assume that you are listening to us through iTunes or your podcast aggregator, so go leave us a review on iTunes if you can. That would be great, a review or a rating or both. That helps people find the show. Uh, the more reviews and ratings that we have, the more uh, our show shows up when people search for Disney or other things like that in, in, uh, in iTunes. So if you could do that for us, we would really appreciate it. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher. Uh, that's another way to listen to the show, or of course on Diz Dad's Radio. That's another place that you can listen. So, uh, if you would not mind telling your friends, Romans, and countrymen all about the show, we would appreciate it. Uh, helps more people find the show. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, for Todd and Rachel and the aforementioned Cheryl, who couldn't be with us tonight, uh, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon.
That's not the kitchen. I must have made a wrong turn at the Inquisition room. You swam the moat? Oh, Papa, I know all about the story. Mama told me about that years ago.